Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Alliance Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Nick Polak. Nick, uh, what are your thoughts on root canals? <laughs> All right, well, asking that question, you ruined my intro because I was going to say it's time to talk about the most important trophy in all of sports. <sighs> but but here's the thing. I can't enjoy anything about this week. I just feel so bad about everything, even though, you know, a trophy with its own gravitational pull is on the line. I, I would agree, but I think my one of my favorite moments of the entire 2016 season was them I mean, getting really obviously being really happy about clinching the Big Ten, but enough guys being like, "No, we need the trophy," and well, sprinting over were, to the Sparty sideline. Were, were you there for the 2016 game, perchance? I was. So, yes. do you remember how like they were handing around the Big Ten trophy, and everyone was like, not quite doing the Stanley Cup thing with it, but like everyone was picking it up and carrying it around and blah blah blah, all that. And yeah, yeah. And then you look to the Big Ten trophy, and it perpetually had like three people propping it up. Not the Big Ten Trophy, the uh, Land Grant Trophy. The Land Grant, yes. So uh, it takes an it takes an offensive line to hold it in the air. It would be interesting to see CJ Thorpe take on the Land Grant Trophy. I would agree with that. But as um, he might just eat it. (laughs) As all of you know, um, and if you didn't know, could have probably guessed by that lovely intro. We're talking about Penn State playing Michigan State this week. Um, Neither Nick nor myself are particularly happy that this game is happening because it is impossible for a Penn State fan to feel happy about having to play Michigan State. Currently, the Spartans are unranked, sitting at 4-3 and three on the year with a 2-2 two and two mark in Big Ten play. Uh, they're a very weird team in that just how their schedule broke out for this game. They spent... They had last week off. The week before that, they lost to Wisconsin in Wisconsin, thirty-eight to nothing. The week before that, they lost to Ohio State in Columbus, thirty-four to ten. And after this week's game, they have their other bye week. So, Nick, it is very hard for me to think that Penn State is getting getting anything less than Michigan State's A plus 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 game here, and I. What is your mindset as we're heading into this one? Because as you can tell, I'm kind of concerned just about all the Michigan State that might happen. Michigan State could be coming off of nine straight games where they just alternate between playing Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State over and over again. And I would still be, I would still feel that they're about to play their A++++ game against Penn State because they always do. It's so terrifying in every single way i wrote about this for the site today but james franklin has faced michigan state five times and he's only won once only one in 2016 and the so the shutdown fullcast has been talking a lot about blood weeks lately and just to kind of shed light on what that phrase means for anyone who doesn't listen it's essentially it's it's that week that comes around every once in a while in college football where you have like three top 10 upset losses, um, things like the Sooner Schooner tips over, things like that. And the one thing they keep saying, it, the, one, the one common denominator with every single blood week that they have talked about is that Michigan State beats someone in October. And it's October. <sighs> and this is their last game in October. <laughs> oh God. They've played two they have three games in October at Ohio State at Wisconsin versus Penn State. Oh my God. Ugh, I hate see I'm glad you mentioned the thing that you wrote for the site today, Nick, because it did look back on the fact that this Penn State Michigan State series it's been weird and that the first two games were uh Still sanctioned-laden Penn State teams. Uh, it's James Franklin with Christian Hackenberg at quarterback, so not exactly uh, meshing between coach and system. They're blowouts. The 2016 season happens. Penn State wins great. And then the last two years are the ones that I want to focus on for a second because the last two years have been basically Penn State grasping defeat from the jaws of victory. Are, are you like me where you think that 
that's basically the reason why you're so worried about this game, just how the last two years have gone, where Penn State probably should have won both of those. But thanks to, you know, a DeAndre Tompkins drop on a fourth down slant or Marcus Allen getting hit with a uh, roughing the passer or uh, Felton Davis doing Felton Davis stuff, Penn State isn't able to win that. Yeah, it's but both of the like you said, both of those last two games are really similar um, and not only not only similar in the fact that they were both Penn State um, really doing everything in their power to lose the game, but they were both they both directly followed losses to top 10 Ohio state teams, which I wrote on the, as, as you referenced, I wrote on the site today, I wrote how it, it's really easy for us to sit on our couches and say, well, how can you not have this team motivated to come back and, and win the week after that? Yeah. Yeah. We know it's a big loss. It's a tough loss, but college football playoffs still technically on the table. Rose bowl still on the table. How do you not have that motivated? I think we're, we're forgetting when we when we make those statements. Uh, we're forgetting what we were like as college kids and how difficult it can be to motivate kids in that scenario. Especially when you consider the fact that both of those losses to Ohio State, they also had the rug pulled out from underneath them in those mm-hmm. games. Those were both mm-hmm. late late uh, lead losses that um, were surrendered by Penn State. So it's it it was two. It has been two years of really really tough back-to-back gut punches courtesy of the Buckeyes and the Spartans and this this year's game obviously different circumstances Penn State coming off of two ranked wins in a row but you could argue I mean the similarities as far as uh, effort exerted the week before there granted last year there was a bye between the Ohio State game and the Michigan State game but I think last year's Ohio State loss was probably probably even tougher to swallow than the year before. Um, so it's pretty easy to see how that could have lingered. But really, this this is where Michigan State thrives. They they do what they do. There's nothing different about them. They're going to come out and they're going to play their game and they're going to force you they're going to force you to beat yourself essentially. So when you, they can get you after you've had to exert a lot of energy against other opponents that are not them, that's really where that's where they like to live. That's their sweet spot. So even though it's different circumstances this year in terms of the win-loss records, um, and like you mentioned, Michigan State not having a great year themselves. Um, but even though it's even though it's different circumstances circumstances in in the win-loss column for Penn State, it's not a completely dissimilar situation from where they've been the last two years. Yeah, there's a point that uh, Matt has brought it up on Michigan State podcasts whenever we've spoken about them over the last couple of years. And it's been you can't let Ohio State beat you twice, which is basically you can't come out against Michigan State and be stuck in the mud and obviously still be reeling from the past week. And again, while Penn State won this past week, I think that general sentiment still remains. You, they can't be too. Um, what do I want to say? They, they can't look like a team that has gone through wars and back-to-back weeks. Because if they do, Michigan State is the kind of program that, even though they are down a little bit this year, when they smell blood in the water, they're a program that is able to pounce on that. And they've had that extra week to prepare. Again, they're going to have that extra week after this to recharge their batteries, so they don't have to worry about going. Uh, you, you, they don't have to worry about, you know, it gets to a certain point, let's just play for next week, because next week there isn't anything. So that's going to be something I'm going to want to watch. We've, uh, I also joked about this after the Michigan game. Uh, immediately after that game ended, I decided to look at the weather in East Lansing, because you can figure this one out. Saturday... Uh, on Saturday evening, the following Saturday was supposed to be 52 degrees, partly cloudy with a 10% chance of rain. That has currently gone up to PM showers with a 50% chance of rain. So Mark D'Antonio, uh. he, he, he's got that weather machine working, Nick. And Lord almighty, am I worried. Let's get into this game a little bit uh, in terms of who's going to be taking the field. Uh, we'll real, s- real quick before you do. So I, I also listen to, I don't listen to as much anymore, but I used to listen to a podcast more called 99% Invisible um, that I'm sure some of you have heard of. But one of the, basically they take, they 
take these random, I mean, there's, there's an episode about architecture in Las Vegas. There's an episode about how, why Camden Yards is so different. And there was, there was an episode that was about how during the Vietnam war, America tried to control the weather. And I'm going to paraphrase, I'm going to summarize here. They essentially tried to control the weather by shooting things into clouds to cause rain, which uh, is as silly as it sounds, but I'm convinced that if anyone has figured it out, it's Mark D'Antonio. Wasn't that a Disney Channel original movie about like a weather machine that controlled Christmas or something like that? Uh, that's uh, That sounds very plausible. Hold on. Give me a sec. I'm Googling the, uh, the ultimate Christmas present. Yes. If memory serves uh, former Los Angeles Laker, John Sally was in that movie as a Christmas elf. And I was correct. Let's not talk about this anymore. Uh, we'll get into the game. Nick, we'll start with the side of the ball that I don't think is nearly as interesting, uh, which is Penn State's defense going up against Michigan State's offense. Just on the merits of the two units that are going to be taking the field, Penn State should be able to just... There's Penn State should not let Michigan State score all that many points, if at all. Do you agree with that statement? Yeah, I do. Uh, they're... Michigan State's offense currently the 72nd ranked offense by SP+. Um, I mean, it's it's just we, we know what the offense is at this point. It's nothing different. We know Brian Lewerke is going to rack up some yards. They're mostly going to be empty yards. We know they're not going to run the ball efficiently. And we know that there's probably going to be one receiver that has a big day and I'm sure Felton Davis will be willing it to happen he, from the sideline. Felton Davis is in attendance for this one. It is we need to start to the movement. That. Keep Felton Davis away from East Lansing. If you live in Michigan, <laughs> you need to go to East Lansing and form a wall around the city. <laughs> we cannot let him get near that stadium. Just like go to the air or get that uh, get the D'Antonio weather machine and just have like a winter storm hit. Uh, I, I believe plant, he, I plant believe something in, in his yeah. luggage. I don't care. <laughs> he, he, we cannot, we cannot at any, at any cost, let him get to East Lansing. I, I mean, all this joking aside, but it is funny how going into this one, Michigan state's offense, for those of you who are not aware, um, they were bad last year. So Mark D'Antonio's response was to give everyone on his offensive staff a different title and like promote from within and demote his offensive coordinator to somebody else. And you've kind of seen that in games uh, against really fast and talented defenses. They had seven points at home against Arizona State. They had 10... Uh, no, sorry. Yeah, Seven points home against Arizona State, 10 points uh, in Columbus against Ohio State, zero points uh, in Madison against Wisconsin. For Penn State's defense, this game should not be a huge concern. Brian Lewerke has looked better uh, as the season has gone along, even if you know he had some bumps on the road the last couple of weeks, including 57.5% of his passes, 11 touchdowns to three interceptions, running the ball a little bit, nothing too crazy. They have Daryl Stewart out wide, and that's kind of it for their receiving game. And then in the backfield, Elijah Collins is a solid running back, but he wasn't able to get much of anything going against Wisconsin. When you look solely at the numbers, Michigan State in rushing offense is 110th nationally. In passing offense, it is 64th nationally. In scoring offense, it is 96th nationally, and in total offense, it is 100th nationally. To me, Nick, it is very hard to see a scenario in which this Michigan State team is able to get much of anything going. Is there anything that does concern you about them on that side of the ball heading into this game? Um, if, if they can get Daryl Stewart consistently lined up against Tariq Castro-Fields, I'd be a little worried. Um, uh, we'll we'll just have to see kind of how they game plan about that. Real quick, as an aside, what are you more surprised about? The fact that D'Antonio did this offensive staff shuffle that he did before this year? Or Whatever B that is. Kirk, 
or that Kirk Ferentz didn't do that first. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That Antonio did because Kirk Ferentz, like he's do it. He'll just take the Booth family. There's always money in the banana stand approach and just like find a different <laughs> Ferentz to give that job to. So I can't, I can't be or not even necessarily a different Ferentz, just a different person who like believes in fullbacks. So that he that he will adopt yeah. into his family. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I believe I made the show last week or two weeks ago. But there are a lot of people uh, with the last name Ferentz, I'm sure, who can make up who can take up roles into his offensive staff. Real quick, uh, while you were going, Nick, I did look at the one thing that I thought maybe would be interesting, and that is that Michigan State's offensive line has played okay. Uh, they've allowed ten sacks on the year, and they allow have allowed thirty seven. Or they're they are thirty seventh in tackles for loss allowed. Uh, real quick, I'll pull up the Ohio State box score because Ohio State has the best defensive line in college football. Perhaps four sacks, nine tackles for loss. There's going to be room for Penn State to exploit that, but on the whole, that's been a pretty solid unit. So that's really the area that and Brian Lewerke's ability to not turn the ball over that I can see Michigan State's offense staying afloat. So for me, it comes down to the other side of the football. Uh, It's this Michigan State defense, which is very, very, very good, Nick, but it's not the top five unit that we've seen in years past. No, it's not. It's not quite that, not quite that high, but it still is a really good unit. They're the 11th ranked defense in SP+. Um, Joe Bocci has been unbelievable this year, 66 tackles, nine and a half for loss, three sacks and a pick. Um, Kenny, is it Will- Willikies is how you say it, right? Kenny Willikies has been really good. Um, David, somehow David Dowell is still there. Is Andrew Dowell still there too? I swear that, I swear the Dowells, I remember when they, remember them when they were recruits. I swear they've been in college since like are you just mixing 2004. Them, are you just mixing them up with Malik McDowell? No, I am not. Okay, I am not mixing them up with disappointing RV accident Seahawks draft pick defensive tackle Malik McDowell. Oh God, it always comes back to the goddamn Seahawks. Right, continue. <laughs> no, David and Andrew Dowell, they were twins. They were Penn State. Didn't eh, they? Kind of looked at them, not really. Um, but yeah, this this is a really it's a really good defense. Like you said, it's not the top five elite level defense that it was, but it's pretty close. Um, and I would wager that if their offense could do more in terms of putting together consistent drives, they might be in that top five realm. Uh, it's just hard to do that when your offense is consistently leaving you out to dry. So uh, this it's it's going to be a really it's going to be a really tough matchup for this Penn State offense. Um, something I'm putting together for the site right now that hopefully will post Thursday, if not Friday is talking about how this is really going to be Ricky Ronnie's chance to prove that he is the right man for this Penn State offense coordinator job. I am of the opinion that I think he's kind of earned that already and proven that already, but the thing he's done really well this year is game plan. It's been clear in every single game that Penn State has uh, that Penn State has played this year that the offense has known exactly what to do and exactly how to attack early on in the game. That has not really ever been the problem when Penn State plays Michigan State. They're usually able to score early, but what happens over the course of the game is that they stop scoring and Michigan State slowly climbs their way back in. Ricky Ronnie has done okay in terms of mid-game adjustments in some of the games. He hasn't done very well in some others. So uh, his ability to diagnose what D'Antonio's defense is doing during this one and to figure out how to pick it apart and to continue to pick it apart throughout the entirety of the game is going to be huge. It's going to be huge for this team. Yeah, and when I look at this Michigan State defense, this is something I alluded to at the end of the last pod, it's a very veteran unit. It's a bunch of guys who have played a lot of football together. Uh, the Panashuk brothers... Uh, Raekwon Williams, Kenny Willekes, uh, Joe Bocci, like all these dudes. As I look at their depth chart, it's across the defensive line, junior, senior, redshirt, senior, redshirt, senior. At the linebacker, junior, senior, redshirt, senior. And the secondary, junior, redshirt, senior, sophomore, redshirt, senior. That's a lot of guys who know exactly what they have to do and know what level they have to perform at for this, ki- for this kind of a game. 
And Michigan State is one of those schools that has kind of earned the benefit of the doubt when you look and you see, okay, they have a lot of three stars. Maybe they have a four-star sprinkled here in there too because they always just have really good game plans and they're really good at executing their game plans. Having said that, this year's Michigan State team, it's what Nick and I both mentioned over the last couple of minutes. They're very, very, very good, but they're not quite as elite as they have been in years past. 22nd nationally in total defense, 35th in passing defense, 27th in rushing defense, 33rd in scoring defense. Those are good numbers. They're not the kind of numbers that make it so Michigan State's offense can more or less lay an egg and wait for Penn State to just, you know, Penn State to shoot itself in the foot. Like, that can't happen. So for Penn State... The important thing is avoiding that, which I think it's safe to say they're not going to turn the ball over. That's been a, something that Sean Clifford is very good at. The running backs are getting pretty good at. And, his, and over the last few years, Michigan State has been excellent at punishing Penn State when they turn the ball over. But more importantly, Penn State cannot do the thing that it did last week, which is just have this weird running back rotation where it's putting itself in positions where it has to convert a second and nine, a third and seven, that sort of thing. They cannot be behind the sticks. They, Nick, to me, and I want to get your thoughts on this, while they love that running back rotation, and James Franklin says, listen, we got four dudes that we trust a lot, to me, Noah Kane's ability to pick up four yards whenever he carries the football is going to be more valuable in this game than it would be in any other game. Would you agree with that? I would. I, I think this is, I think this game is the perfect fit for what Noah Kane gives an offense. I, I totally, I totally get where they were coming from with giving Ricky Slade a few more carries last week because Michigan with how much they blitz and with how much speed Slade and journey Brown both have, you you can you can it's not that hard to envision things that happened like they did for Slater that forty four yard carry, but this game Michigan State is not going to do as much blitzing. Um, they're going to let their line generate pressure and they're going to let their linebackers roam. This is the kind of game for Noah Kane just to take the ball, take the yards or take the yards that are ahead of him. Don't go for losses. Don't take negative game or uh, don't take negative runs. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right, Bill. It, it has to be, we have seen, we haven't seen any sort of consistency, consistency with this running back rotation after the first couple of weeks. Um, really the only thing that we've learned to this point is kind of the, what the true pecking order is based on when guys come into the game. I suppose we've kind of learned that, but it's, it's gotten to the point this season where they, I, I get that they like all four guys and I get that all four kind of bring something different to the table and all four have talent, but they need to, they need to start giving a couple of them more consistent carries and let them get into a zone. Or at the very least, when you have a guy like Slade, like they did last week, who looks like he is getting into his own, give him carries. What do we, they, he had three carries in the second half last week against Michigan. It's you, you at some point, they are going to need to have a balanced offense. Right now, they are not balanced. They may be, they may be somewhat balanced in terms of actual play call selection, but they're not balanced in terms of production. And Bill, I think you're right that they they need to get at least one of those guys going this week, and it really sets up nicely for that guy to be Noah Kane. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the thing: I, I'm a big believer in the big play offense. I believe that if you can hit two or three big plays more often than not those drives are going to end in touchdowns so I completely understand wanting to do that but for this week's game like I want them to just play a smart football game I don't want them to necessarily make plays that I don't want them to put themselves in positions where they're going to Give me a second, I'm pulling something up here. 
I don't want them to put themselves in the position where they're making life harder on themselves because what Michigan State thrives on is you making life harder on yourself. When I go back and I look at the advanced box score from last week against Michigan, and I look at Penn State's success rate by quarter, 43% in the first quarter, 27% in the second quarter, 8% in the third quarter, 31% in the fourth quarter. Michigan State, Michigan's offense was on the field forever. Penn State couldn't get anything done on passing downs. Their success rate on passing downs was 18%. They cannot do that again. They have to play a smarter football game. And if that means you get away from the big play stuff a bit and you're instead taking, you know, Sean Clifford completing passes for six or seven yards and Noah Kane running the ball for three or four yards consistently, and maybe that opens up the big play stuff, great. But I want them to be conservative in this one. I want them to be smart in this one and pragmatic instead of throwing caution to the wind against a team that is going to be rested, that's going to have a game plan that they're going to want to stick to and execute the entire time and knows that Penn State's going to want to come into this game trying to go for big plays. I think this is a big opportunity, like you said, Nick, for them to get a little more consistency of their running back rotation. And after we saw Sean Clifford last week, for how much I believe in him and how good I think he is, he is capable of hitting those lulls and getting into situations against good defenses where he doesn't, you know, he just isn't quite working, whether that's throwing the football and hitting a little bit of a lull there or running the football and not always looking comfortable. Let's use that running game to settle him into this game and let's have Noah Kane be the guy who is able to accomplish that more consistently than anybody else. Uh, I think that, that, that leads into the next thing, and I think y'all just heard my spiel on what I want to see out of Penn State. I want to see a pragmatic football game played by them. I want them to just play smart and make sure they're making decisions that very low risk and a very moderate reward instead of the high risk, high reward plays that have somewhat become uh, a calling card of this offense. Nick, what is the biggest thing that you want to see out of Penn State this week? I want to see them win the turnover battle. I, I'm not sure I could sit through another game like last year's where Penn State should have had like 12 turnovers against Michigan State and ended up with, I believe, uh, one, if memory serves. I'm pulling this up right now because uh, there was, yes, both teams turned the ball over one time. If memory serves, the ball got put on the deck a whole lot and Penn State came... But it was put on the deck by Michigan State a lot, I want to say four times, I think, and Penn State didn't recover any of them. Yeah, just just re- absolute, absolute ridiculous stuff. But yeah, I, I want to see Penn State win the turnover battle in this one. I think that Penn State's run defense is good enough that teams, no team is going to be able to beat them solely by running the football, with the possible of exception of Ohio State, we'll see. But they're going to force teams to put the ball in there. And Brian Lewerke is going to throw the ball anyway for as much as Michigan state kind of seems like that grounded pound type team. They're really not, they do throw the ball and it, it took a few years for them to start doing that. But I think they finally realized they can't run the ball anymore. They couldn't even do it when they had, um, when they had LJ Scott there. So, um, I, you, they got it. They have to take advantage of that. I, we saw Tariq Castro Fields make a really nice play last week on the screen pass that Shea Patterson tried to throw. That was all film study. That was it. That was excellent recognition of something they saw on film. That's what they need to do this week. They need to take advantage of what Michigan State has on film, and the secondary needs to make a play for this defense. They cannot just sit back and let Lewerke carve them up with short passes all the way down the field. At some point, somebody's going to have to step up and make a play. Um, and if, if they can win that turnover battle, then I'm going to feel a lot better about Penn State's chances in this game because I do expect I expect it to look pretty similar. I think they're going to start hot early on offense. I wouldn't be surprised to see another lull. Um, and I can get a little in, I can get a little more into why I think that lull exists in a second, though. Okay, it's been a second. Go. Okay, so I'm. I am not of the opinion that those lulls happen because of the play calls by Ricky Ronnie or because of anything else. I think it comes down to Sean Clifford. We've talked a lot about how Clifford's main areas of growth this year, the areas that he needs to grow in, um, actually, will, are going to come down to reads and making the right reads. He is 
slowly getting there in terms of the read option game. He probably still keeps the ball a little too much instead of handing it off to his running back, but he's at least making some small strides there. But he really needs to he really needs to learn how to go through his reads better as a passer and how to go through his progressions because he seems pretty limited right now to first option, maybe sometimes the second option, but more often than not, it's what what's happening is first option there, yes, throw it. If it's not there, okay, fine, KJ. Which yep. you know, it's it's not a it's not a terrible strategy, right? KJ Hamler's supremely talented. Anything that involves getting the ball into KJ Hamler's hands is generally a not bad idea. Yeah, but he's he's leaving more plays on the field, and I I referenced this in a post. I don't remember what post it was, but David Pollock before the Michigan game tweeted something about Sean Clifford. I guess he was watching film on him beforehand, uh, preparing for game day, and said. It was something along the lines of, boy, if, if Clifford can ever learn to pick his eyes back up after he starts moving around in the pocket or takes off to scramble, whatever, if he can learn to pick his eyes back up, he's going to be a monster because there are going to be some huge plays there for the taking. And since, since I saw that tweet, from what I've seen, he's totally right. When Clifford has to move in the pocket or when he, when he senses that pressure, it's really, it's really the eyes are downhill and now I'm running. And that's the difference between an inexperienced quarterback and an experienced quarterback. As he continues to get comfortable there, he's going to learn to pick his eyes back up and start going through his progression again or find the guy who realized the play was broken and made a move to get open. But between between going through those progressions and between continuing to look for opportunities as a passer, even when the play breaks down, that's that is the lack of those things I think is where those offensive walls are coming from for Penn State and I think it's a lot to expect him to just go oh yep fixed got it now maybe after the bye week that's coming up here but that's really where I think those walls are coming from offensively it it makes sense I mean like there are certainly other contributing factors that we talked about like there will be times where you know, like we saw against Michigan, there was a there, there was like a blitz pickup that didn't necessarily work, and one of Michigan's linebackers got to him. Or Penn State's running game kind of stalls out and puts them in a position where they're behind the sticks, and Clifford has to make a play with his arm or his leg. All that stuff, but you, in a weird way, you want it to come down to your quarterback because if you're as talented as Sean Clifford, you're probably and it's talented and smarter Sean Clifford, you're probably going to figure it out eventually. This would be a hell of a week for him to figure it out eventually. Uh, for me, uh, I, I want to get into X factors. It, what is the X factor for Penn State in this one, Nick, uh, as they're heading into this game? The one, the thing that you think can tilt this thing in one way or another. Is it Clifford? Um, it, I could make an argument for Clifford. I'll, I'll broaden it out and say the trenches, the offensive and defensive line. I think if the offensive line can keep him upright and if the defensive line can generate some pressure, that that's probably the game. That that's what I was thinking because Penn State's defensive line was not quite as disruptive as we know it can be against Michigan. And while I don't think Brian, Gordon, they were in the first half. They were in the first. When half. I was re- got, when yeah. I was rewatching, they were they okay. were they they didn't have the sack numbers or the tackle for loss numbers there. necessarily. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, they were in there almost every snap. So I mean, that's basically the thing. If you give Brian Lewerke time to throw, he'll do something. Uh, I don't know how good it will necessarily be, but he'll be able to do something with that. And I want to see them be able to get home. Like that that's just the thing with this Penn State team. We saw it against Buffalo for a half. We saw it for stretches against Pitt. We saw it for stretches against Michigan. And against Iowa to an extent. Like the defensive line, for how good it can be, it just hits those little road bumps where it's not quite there. If they are consistently getting to Brian Kluwerke, I have no idea how Michigan State is supposed to score in this game outside of, you know, Clifford turning the ball, or Clifford or running back turning the ball over. So that's what I'm going to be paying pretty close attention to. Um, Nick, I think it's prediction time. Where are you leaning in this one? I, I, my guess is you're going to say the exact same thing that I'm going to say, but what do you think in here? So I, I do think Penn State wins this game. I think they 
I think they're in a better place than they have. I think well, they're in a much better place than they have been in this game the last two years. And I think that the offense is a little worse than it's been. Definitely worse than it was in 2017. Um, probably about equal to where it was at 2018 at this point, honestly. But the defense is a lot better. And I think in this game, that will, that will be enough. Um, the spread, I believe, is six and a half. Uh, yes, it is six and a half and an over under a 44. Yeah, I, I'm seeing something like Penn State 27 or 28 to, uh, mm, yeah, I mean, I'm saying something like Penn State 28, Michigan State 10. I, I just don't, and even when I say that, that sounds way more comfortable than it, it probably will be, but <laughs> it's, it's just. This Michigan State team, I don't see how they're really... I just don't see how they're going to score. I think that's fair. Our pal, uh, Bill C., uh, by SP+, it has Penn State 29, Michigan 20. uh, And then he said in parentheses, I'd feel better about 1910, which, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, For me, I think this is going to end up being the most Big Ten game possible. Just a gross, sloppy nightmare of a football game. Uh, So 19-9? Oh, no, Nick. It's going to be the most Big Ten score you can imagine. 24-17, Penn State. Is that, that that's a very Big Ten score? I, that that and twenty one seventeen, I believe, are the two Big Ten scores that a football game can be. But the, yeah, I, well, somehow somehow the Big Ten's birthday is twenty four seventeen. Right. Somehow. Well, well, the thing is that like when you're oh, thinking February fourth, twenty seventeen. There you go. <laughs> that's that's the Big Ten's birthday. Well, when you think about Big Ten games, you think of either one generic gross football games or two uh, like six four. So we'll, we'll go 24-17 on this one. Penn State wins. I don't feel good about this. The fact that the Related win- note to 6-4, do you know what the first ever score of this matchup was? 6-4. Michigan State won 6-3. Ah, that'll do it. Uh, but yeah, I, it, if this was literally any team other than Michigan State, I would feel way better. Like If you took all, all these Michigan State players and put them in Indiana uniforms, I would feel so much better about Penn State winning this football game. But because it's Michigan State, because it's in East Lansing, uh, because the weather is trending in a very Michigan State direction, I have a little nervousness and about that. And Felton Davis is going to be there. In attendance, yeah. But we'll go, we'll go there. Uh, I think that's all for this game, Nick. Is there any final thing that you'd like to add? Um. I, I don't think so. I would like to quickly read off the one, two, three, four, five first scores in this series because they're pretty funny, actually. 1914, okay. Michigan State won 6-3. Uh, 1925, which is the last time Penn State beat Michigan State in October. Granted, they have not played very often in October. Right. But the last time they beat them in October, Penn State won 13-6. 1945, Michigan State won 33-0. Oh. 1946, this is, I think this is the most, well, one of these next two is the most Penn State-Michigan thing possible. 1946, Michigan State won 19-16. <sighs> and in 1948, they tied at 14. Uh, wait, so how did they get to 1916? Are you able to pull that up anywhere? Like, were there just a lot? Were there? Did both teams get a safety? Was it supposed to be seventeen fourteen, and then the defenses took over, or how did, how did that work? I, I can't get it. I can't get it through here. I'm just on Winsipedia, but as you continue talking, I will see if I can look it up. Uh, it would be on uh, the. Give me a sec, because I know where it would be. What year did you say this was? Nineteen. Uh, nineteen sixteen was in nineteen forty six. All right, nineteen forty six. Penn Penn State went six and two that year. Uh, let's see. Can I can I get that classic record? Uh, no, I cannot. One day, one day I want to do a deep dive on all of the hilarious scores from way back in Penn State history, like so, when they would beat like 
So, Nick, I'm, I, I'm interrupting you because there's something far more important to talk about now that I am on the 1946 Penn State football team page. They lost to Michigan State and Pitt, uh, okay. 19-16-14-7. Their wins, they beat Bucknell 48-6. to They beat okay. Syracuse 9 to nothing. Oh, yes! Okay. They Now... Uh, I'm going to save the middle two wins for the end. Uh, they beat Temple 26 to nothing and Navy 12 to seven. Sandwich in between those were a win over Colgate that they won six to two, and then a win over Fordham that they won 68 to nothing. That is an absolutely incredible season of football. I don't know what Moorhead was doing at Fordham that year, but that's some nonsense, man. You got to be better than that. Uh, that's. Old old football scores are awesome. The number of shutouts and the number of times that Penn State went like over eighty points is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll get our we'll see if we we'll get we can get our pal Matt Brown to join to like do something on this just because that's this is like Matt's exact niche. I, I'm I picked that's, a random very true. I picked a random year and I picked nineteen twenty and in nineteen twenty they beat Lebanon Valley one hundred nine to seven. Anyway. They have a lot of beatdowns <laughs> in Lebanon Valley. Uh, well, we, th- thank you for indulging us on this part of the podcast. Let's uh, let's get to the point where we talk about Big Ten games, Nick. Uh, Penn State, Michigan State's obviously three thirty on ABC. Noon kick on Fox. This is our big big nude kickoff. Wisconsin <gasps> at Ohio State, Nick. Uh, uh, before right. we really D- get disclaimer, yeah, disclaimer. I do not know any of the Big Ten games this week, aside from Liberty at Rutgers. We'll talk about that one in a second. Uh, Ohio State, fourteen and a half point favorite over under forty nine and a half. This is a, this game had seemed like it had the potential to be like legitimately special, like Big Ten championship game preview in Columbus. Uh, and then Wisconsin lost to Illinois. I think Ohio State probably runs them off the field. Nick, what are you thinking? I, I it's really easy to see either scenario. Like on the one hand, it's really it's really easy to see how Wisconsin's defense can keep them in the game, and not just their defense, uh, but their style of offense. Because for as good as the Ohio State defense is, Jonathan Taylor's still going to get his. They're still going to move the ball on the ground with him, I think. So it's not difficult to envision the scenario in which Wisconsin does the majority of the clock control and their defense just does enough to let him hang around. Like I could very easily see like a like a thirty-one like a thirty-one seventeen type score, which would satisfy that those fourteen and a half points. Um, but I could also see. I could also see it being like like 21-10 at halftime and Ohio State pulling away. Um, but I, I don't know. As I said that, I kind of really like the sound of 31-17 for this game. I think that feels right. Mm-hmm. Bill, so I'm going I'm to go ahead and say Wisconsin. I'm going to say Wisconsin covers. Uh, our pal Bill Conway has it at 31-20 to 20 Ohio State. I, I don't know. I just don't think... I think Ohio State is going to be able to stop Wisconsin's run game and put the game in Jack Cohn's hands, and I just do not trust that he'll be able to do much of anything against this Ohio State defense and on the other side of the ball. I think Wisconsin's defense will hold up nicely. I think they're going to scheme well. I think they have good players on that defense. Uh, but at a certain point, I think they just get worn out, and Ohio State's horses are able to kind of get going. So. I think, should be a really informative game, though. Oh yeah, I think something like thirty-eight to thirteen, thirty-eight seventeen, something in that range sounds about right. Yeah, we're going to learn a lot about both teams, uh, and if Wisconsin, if Wisconsin can keep it close, I will feel much better about Penn State heading in there. Um, little bit of a shameless plug for something I did for the day job, uh, but a member of the Big Nude Kickoff cast told me that he thinks Penn State has a better chance heading into Columbus uh, than Wisconsin does. Having said that, it's really hard to see Ohio State losing this football game. Uh, I'm dragging this one on because I really do not want to talk about the next game, Nick. Nude kick? Mm. ESPN 2. Let me guess one team. Nude kick on ESPN 2. Go ahead. Does it involve Indiana? It does not. Hmm. Okay. Illinois? 
Nope. Nebraska? Nope. All right, I gave up. Northwestern is hosting Iowa. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Take, it's the most wonderful, wonderful time, time of the year. I am actually, we're actually going to play the ticket price game on this one. And it's because when I saw the price of tickets for this, my jaw hit the floor. How much is the cheapest ticket you can get for this game, Nick? It's, it's, it, in, it's, in, it's Evanston. in Evanston. It's in Evanston. Hmm. hmm. Jaw dropping on the floor, I assume, is going to mean that it's higher than expected. I'm going to say hmm, ranked team coming to town, division foe. I'm going to say but, 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 this is, Nick, Nick, this is an 11 what? o'clock a.m. local kick, remember. Oh, right. Um, well, I said it. I'll stick with it. $34. $43 to watch Iowa and Northwestern play something moderately resembling football. The next guessing game, what's the over-under on this one? Iowa's a nine-and-a-half point favorite. I will say that. Iowa's a nine-and-a-half point favorite. They're probably expecting something like Iowa 20, Northwestern 11 then. So that'd be 31 points. I'll say it's 30... Uh, 39.5 37 oh man uh, so uh this is a uh, this is me uh oh. because i love you don't watch any of this football even if it like is close if it somehow is exciting just view it the same way that indiana jones viewed opening the ark of the covenant just like don't look directly at it okay i'm glad we had this talk uh, I, I- can't promise. I've watched a lot of bad football this year. That, that was more for the listeners. I know you're beyond reproach. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, moving on, noon kick. My, my heart and mind are full of fake pen live comments. I'm beyond saving. <laughs> noon kick, uh, BTN. Illinois uh, traveling to Purdue. Seems like a good spot for a letdown game out of the Illini and Purdue uh, last week fought against they had a, they put forth a good battle in Iowa City against Iowa and David Bell looks like a superstar at wide receiver. I think the Boilers probably win this one, Nick. I think Purdue wins this game by like seventeen. I, I, I like like you said it, it's I think it's going to be a big letdown for Illinois. They, they they won last week, but they really got dominated in pretty much every facet of the game other than winning and having really timely turnovers. And like you said, Purdue played really well last week. They've been playing pretty well since the Penn State game. I think Purdue runs away with this. And so he spoke, and so he spoke that lore. This is the song that uh, is sang in Game of Thrones for blood and death and all that, because we're talking Liberty Rutgers. Uh, noon kick on <laughs> BTN. Rutgers is a seven and a half point home dog to Liberty, which sits at five and two. Hugh Freeze got them good old Christian boys playing some good football. They beat Buff up a Buffalo team that we saw firsthand is pretty solid. Pretty solid team up in Buffalo. Having said all of that, Nick. I hate this. I hate everything about this. I, If I watch any of this game, it is out of a certain morbid curiosity that like just no help for it. I've thought a lot about this game this week um, for the main reason being for my big 10 survivor pool. Um, I, I made the mistake of not, not making my records pick early in the season. I don't know why I did that. I don't know. I really looking back, I don't know what my strategy was early, early on, but um, I came to the decision. I, I kind of, a few weeks back, I kind of had this pegged as the week that I would take Rutgers to win. But I have now, I have fully shifted into the camp of, I'm just not going to pick Rutgers at all until the last week of the season. Then I'm going to take them to beat Penn State. 
and then I'm just going to find out however much money um, is on the line for me at that point, like how much money will, will I have lost at that point, so I can bet on Penn State accordingly and make up the margin. God almighty. I... I can't believe this game is happening. Like, can Rutgers just like cut Liberty? Because literally, nothing... do we know how much money Liberty's making for doing this game? Ooh, boy, that's a good question. Whatever they're making, they should like probably a couple mil, right? Well, you can wager in New Jersey now. So Hugh Freeze better once he once that plane <laughs> touches down in Newark, he better like. Get that FanDuel app open. Get, get that FanDuel app open and just like or write no, that. Excuse me, New Jersey, DraftKings app. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, I, Hugh, you are a man of... Um, Integrity. Of a certain moral character at a university of a very certain moral character. You can absolutely get away with wagering on this game and the ward's still going to love you, my guy. Maybe. Uh, 3.30 kick ESPN. Um, Maryland heading to Minnesota. Maryland put up a good fight against Indiana last week. Uh, Minnesota hitting its stride at the right time after getting off to a slow start to the season. They're 7-0, 17th in college football. Net minus uh, 16 points on Minnesota. 57.5 is the total. I think the Terps probably get run off the field. Like, it's just very hard for me to see a Maryland team that couldn't keep with Penn State's athletes keep up with some very, very good athletes that Minnesota has in Minnesota Stadium, Nick. I think Minnesota definitely wins. 16.5 is a lot of points, though, for that is Maryland a lot, offense yes. that has not been terrible since that Penn State game. I mean, they, they played Nebraska last week, I think it was. Indiana. Indiana, yeah. Indiana is a good football team, and Maryland was right with them. I, I think sixteen well, and a half is way too much. In fairness, uh, Indiana was down to their back. They had their backup quarterback Peyton Ramsey, so oh, that right. had a little bit to do with it. I also believe uh, I'm not certain the status of Josh Jackson. I think Tyron Jackson, yeah, Tyron Pigram might still be in, and then Anthony McFarlane Jr. didn't play last week. I'm not sure what happened there, but he didn't record any care. He, is, is he injured? Because that would really, really stink, and I hope he's doing fine. Uh, well, regard, regardless, Jackson and, Minnesota, Jackson and Minnesota McFarland. 35, Minnesota 35, Maryland 18. Jackson and McFarland are, back, are expected to be back this week. So, yeah, I, mean, I think you're probably right. Something in that vicinity, Nick. Uh, potentially weird game. Indiana uh, sitting at 5-2, and two, going to Lincoln for a 3.30 kick on BTN. I believe that Nebraska's quarterbacks might be – oh, wait, no, they're, uh, they all practice. So Adrian Martinez might be playing for Nebraska. Having said all that, Nick, it seems like Indiana has a little bit of swagger right now. They're a very well-rounded football team. Uh, I'm not sure the status of Michael Penix after he was unable to play last week. Uh, but, you know – this seems like a game where if the Hoosiers are as good as they have seen, the fact that they're a road dog, a two and a half point underdog, that shouldn't matter. Like they should win this football game. Yeah, and I think they will pretty comfortably. I could see them winning by like ten points here. Um, I think SPA Plus actually has them winning by nine. Uh, yeah, I, this is this is a good this is a good football team. Chaos team has grown up. They're they're uh, just a straight up good overall football team now. I don't think they're. They're they're definitely not in that upper echelon of the Big Ten, but they are significantly closer to it than they have been in the past, I think. Yeah, and if Penix plays, I think they should be able to run Nebraska off their home field. But we'll, we'll have to see even that one. Uh, last game, uh, 7.30 kick on ABC. Uh, Nick, do you know what time it is? Uh, oh, I know where this is going. Zach time. 8.17. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to go with, and Michigan still sucks. Oh, no. Sack time! Sack time. Uh, 7.30 on ABC. Uh, Notre Dame is traveling to Ann Arbor to play Michigan. If y'all haven't heard the episode of the shutdown, not the shutdown. Oh, yes, it was the full cast. Yeah, uh, the shutdown, shutdown full cast. I, I got it mixed up with solid verbal for a second. The shutdown full cast where they talk about Michigan's uh, play-by-play booth, uh, which is Dan Deerdorf. Uh 
and the guy who backed him up at Michigan, Jim Brandstatter, and they're basically just two old Michigan men talking about football with one another. Um, I recommend it, but Nick and I are going to spend large portions you, of if this. you if you watch the uh, the journey excerpt, the Big Ten journey excerpt from the whiteout this past week, uh, I think they posted it on Twitter. You can hear them in that video. It's oh, like a God, yes. video. Uh, Nick and I will spend portions of this talking uh, like Dan Deardorff, whose trademark call on sacks is sack time and Jim Brandstatter. But Nick, it's really hard for me to see. I, I think Michigan probably just left it all in the field in Happy Valley. This seems like a situation where even though the line is even, Notre Dame just seems like it, they're in a really, really good spot to come out and get a win this week. I think we saw Michigan really take a step forward last week. Yeah, they lost it, but Ronnie Bell had held on to the football, and it would have been a completely different story. Notre Dame, man, that's scary to me. I think Michigan walks out of here with a good old-fashioned, hard-earned win. Man, if only Ronnie Bell learned how to hold on to things like my wife holds on to grudges, then we they'd be fine. Sack time. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's in all seriousness, like this is a kind of a huge game for Notre Dame. Uh, the way that their schedule looks down the stretch, so much of Notre Dame's appeal this season stemmed from the fact that their schedule looked like it was going to be pretty tough. Uh, Georgia, Virginia, USC. Michigan, uh, Stanford, I, I think every team in that Virginia Tech, Duke, Navy, Boston College stretch is underperformed. All those teams were supposed to be good to one extent or another, and right now it looks like the only win they might get over a ranked team is against Virginia. So they need to come out and beat this Michigan team and beat them really bad, and that's something that I think, that's something that I don't know if Michigan's going to be prepared for after the emotional uh, let down that was last week's game. Um, I thought they looked great last week. I thought they looked like a team that figured some stuff out, but it's just really hard for me to pick them in this one. Um, something like Notre Dame 30, Michigan 13. Nick, would you say that sounds about right? I disagree, actually. I, I'm going to ride with SP Plus on this, and I, they have Michigan winning by four, mm. I think it is. I, I think Michigan actually finds a way to win this one. I think that their defense is good enough, and Notre Dame, they, they played really well against Georgia, I would say. But as we've seen recently, Georgia might not be all that. They um, might not. So that takes Notre Dame's most impressive performance, arguably, and really not really notches it down a few pegs. I, I re- I'm not really sure how good or bad Notre Dame is, honestly. I, I think I think this Michigan team at home, I, I would argue that this is probably the most important game for Michigan season as well, that makes sense. Um, just, like it is, just like it is for Notre Dame. Um, because if they don't win this game, then that they're already sitting at three losses. They still have to go to East Lansing. I'm not sure if that game's home or away. They still have to play Michigan State, which is going to be a weird, gross potential loss. Anyway, it's rivalry. You know, the, well, you know the deal. Here's the thing. Let me read you the rest of their schedule, okay, Nick? Okay. Next yeah, week, go for it. next week they go to Maryland, which they should they should win that game. But Maryland always has that one game a year where they do something weird, and Michigan should should they're, Michigan they're ripe for things to be done weird to them, right? And it's right before their bye week. Who, like they should, they're probably going to win that game. Who knows? By week, they're hosting Michigan State, and then they go to Indiana, and then they host Ooh. Ohio State. Oh boy! They, it is not impossible. It is very, admittedly, very hard, but it is not impossible to see a scenario where they lose to Wisconsin, Penn State, Notre Dame then beat Maryland, and then lose to all of Michigan State, Indiana, and Ohio State. That puts them at six losses on the year. I don't think that happens. I think they probably beat Michigan State, and they do beat Indiana. They probably beat Michigan State and Indiana, but those games are not going to be layups. So you're right. This is a surprisingly huge one. You know what? Now that I think about it, I think they play well, but I still think Notre Dame probably ends up winning this one. I think that's fair. I, I... I think the line has actually shifted now to Notre Dame minus one. It opened at Michigan minus four and a half, if I remember correctly. I think Notre Dame is favored now, just slightly. Even. Even. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, I, 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 I am going to go ahead and say Michigan wins like 31-30, 27-24, something like that, a one-score game. Um, I think I think they'll have enough juice at home. They've all they've always been better at home under Jim Harbaugh. I think they'll get enough to get this win. That that sounds fair. Uh, like it's a ve- it, it's going to be a weird game because uh, I really don't have any idea how that's going to look. I don't know how Michigan's going to look, but that's go- it, it'll be one to watch certainly. What's the what does the rest of the slate have this weekend? Is there any? Can you think of anything? Oh, wait, you know, it's this weekend. Um, LSU-Auburn. No. Let's go. Oh, we, is it? Okay. So I am, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I've become an LSU fan because they're just, they're wonderful. And Auburn always plays with a certain amount of chaos to them. So that'll be a good one. Um, Alabama-Arkansas. Don't care about Clemson, Boston College. Cal, Utah is going to suck. Don't watch that. And then Oregon, eh, Washington, Oregon, Wazoo. That it, it's in Austin, but hey, who knows? That might end up being weird. Uh, yeah. No, 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 it won't. <laughs> Oregon, Oregon's going to obliterate them. Yeah, probably. Any uh, any any parting thoughts before I do the sign off? Not that I can think of. It's I just. I, I, I don't care what the score is of this game, Penn State. Just Please win. just make it out alive. Please. For my family's sake, just <laughs> yeah. make it out alive. Yeah, I, I just can't. I, I can't do another completely gutting loss to Michigan State. I just cannot do it. So Penn State, uh, holla at you boys. Do that. Uh, come out on top. No, j- just a win. We'll take a win any way we can get it, even if my pulse is racing at the end of it. Just give us a win. Uh, but yeah, that's it for this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Thank you as always uh, for listening. Make sure you're subscribing on all of our various podcasting channels and giving us a review on iTunes, preferably five stars. That does help. Uh, make sure you're following us on all our various social media channels. Make sure you're reading and supporting the site. Make sure you're going out uh, and buying some t-shirts. So one last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Nick Polak, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Commence operation. Keep Felton Davis out of East Lansing immediately. Boop, 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 boop.